Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Has the war started? Sir, you... You should have made your presence known. In the middle of that beautiful love scene? That wouldn't have been very tactful, would it? But don't worry. Your secret is safe with me. Sir, you are no gentleman. And you, miss, are no lady. Oh. But don't think that I hold that against you. Ladies have never held any charm for me. First you take a low, common advantage of me. Then you insult me. I meant it as a compliment. And I hope to see more of you when you're free of the spell of the elegant Mr. Wilkes. He doesn't strike me as half good enough for a girl of your... Uh, what was it? Your passion for living? How dare you? You aren't fit to wipe his boot. <laughs> and you were going to hate him for the rest of your life. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that takes a look at all the best picture winners in history and time and, and eternity, and uh, which is very appropriate for this particular film, uh, and uh, says, do they still matter or not? I am Andrew Pearson. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. Welcome, Dave. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, see, I, I knew this was going to happen, Andrew. I've commented, <laughs> I've commented more than once about how you can tell when Andrew's in a good mood, when he's <laughs> Because you get a good day at the very beginning. We just get a hello. It's hello. It's time to talk about Gone with the Wind. It's time for your homework. So... Yeah, homework. Homework. That's the spirit. That's it. Sometimes there are films, like there are films that we do uh, episodes on, which, you know, we're we're reaching almost 20 episodes of this thing, and, and this is the 12th Best Picture winner, and... Sometimes there are films where I'm like, I can't wait to talk about this film because it's going to be so interesting. And sometimes there are films where I'm like, I can't wait to not talk about this film and try and skirt around it as much as possible. So what we're going to do to avoid actually discussing Gone with the Wind to start off with is we're going to talk about the Best Picture winners, uh, nominees in this lineup here, first of all. Um, Because for this year, 1939, pretty good year. Pretty good year. Oh my God, pretty good Andrew, way to way to undersell it. This is, <laughs> I mean, this is not only the best crop of nominees so far. I mean, we'll see as we move forward, but this may be the best ever. Like there are legitimately at least three or four movies on here that are like five star movies. Oh yeah, like great, great, great films, and that's so. And that's like half the nominees, and the rest of them are all good to pretty good. Yeah, there's not. I don't think there's a bad movie in this bunch, and I watched all of them. So, <laughs> so like tell an us, idiot. tell us about them then. Tell us about them because I watched a fair bunch of them too, and so I can jump in. And we're going to do an extra episode on one of the nominees as well. So yeah, tell us about what you watched from uh, yeah the list. All right, so you know you've got Dark Victory, uh, which is a Betty Davis movie, also with uh, Humphrey Bogart. It's just like a it's a it's a melodrama, you know. It's a little, little over the top, like playing a 
hedonistic socialite and heiress. Like, so it's fun. It's a fun movie. And I think I'd actually watch this for, you know, one of those podcasts I do with Mike Dennison. I can't, honest to God, cannot remember which one it was because there are so many different ones. So that's really good. Um, Goodbye, Mr. Chips is okay. It's fine. It's to me, it's kind of disposable. It's about a teacher kind of looking back on his life. Like we've seen this type of movie before. There's nothing bad about it, but there's also nothing particularly memorable about it it's like it's a nice story about a nice man you know and that's fine but that's not going to be something that you write home about right that's not gonna be something that's memorable uh love affair uh directed by leo mccary another kind of like romance slash uh slash comedy uh, yeah i really liked well it. done yeah, yeah irene dunn like it's it's really it's really it's a really solid movie like that feels like a perfect like three to three and a half star movie like yeah that it's it's as described um, I had a good time. It's not a movie I feel like I'm going to go back to and watch over and over and over again. But like, if somebody was like, "Oh, I want to watch Love Affair," be totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, I, we'll throw I actually that on. think it's a, a really worthwhile film for people to seek out simply because of the Sleepless in Seattle connection. Where it's oh, yes. like, yes. you know, it's so obvious. Uh, you know, when the the third act of that film comes around, and then. Uh, all these machinations come in place, and it's like, all oh, right, I understand where they got that from, and it's nice right. and charming. Yeah, it's good. yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the greatest description of that movie you could ever have. Nice and charming. It yeah. absolutely is that. Um, of mice and men, uh, probably the best uh, version of this story put yeah. the film. Um, and it's a it's a movie that's very weirdly close to my heart because I am originally from California, which is where the author John Steinbeck is from and that's where all of his books are set um so every every year um i think starting in fourth grade we would have like a steinbeck unit in school so we'd read a book by steinbeck we'd watch a movie by steinbeck we'd go to the steinbeck museum all that good stuff so i've watched this movie a lot um and it's you know um obviously a wonderful story there's a reason it's a beloved novel and it's pretty heart-wrenching stuff by the oh, end yeah. of this like it's but it's just well acted well directed well written obviously just a really fun movie um wuthering heights is a solid adaptation of a great 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 novel uh you could tell it's like they they decided okay we're gonna do this part of the book because we cannot make this into a movie shorter than five hours so we're just gonna we're going to do this. It's not as good as like the Andrea Arnold version, which I think is easily the best Wuthering Heights that we have on, on screen, but it's good. It's a good movie. Um, what else? Stagecoach. Um, my really favorite, good. my favorite John Ford movie. I think it's, it's really interesting to watch now. Cause um, I think we think of Westerns as like its own thing and kind of stodgy and like blah, 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 but it's, it's an action movie. Like the movie, like our, one of our lead characters, John Ford is literally introduced cocking a shotgun like it's straight like there's not a a big there's john not wayne. a lot of turns john wayne yes yeah, did i say john ford you said john ford yeah yeah, yeah. John <laughs> wayne, cocking a shotgun it's a pretty it's not many turns to go from this movie to like 80s action flicks like it really it like it has all the stuff it's got great action sequences it's got a nice cute little love story mixed in there like just enough it's a little less racist than a lot of other John Ford westerns so it's like it's nice it's good it's enjoyable and I'll take I'll watch this over the searchers any day of the week like really really fun western action film I was generally surprised as well how uh accepting of kind of not progressive ideology as such but um fringe ideology in that particular film yeah. too you know john it's, wayne it's, 
ends up John with Ford, a, a sex worker, John, and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, John Ford, shockingly progressive. Like, I think of John Ford before I watch his movies as, like, very right um, politically. And yeah. he's really, like, shockingly not. Like, you look back at the way, like, he looks at Im- immigrants, the way he looks at sex workers, as you mentioned. Even some of the ways he looks at race. Like, some of his movies mixed in with this kind of, like, ooh, really questionable stuff about Native folks. There's actually some interesting progressive ideas in there, which is always very surprising. Uh, but also this year, like, m- probably one of the most well-known movies in the history of movies, The Wizard of Oz kind of a big deal also nominated this year um and i talked at length about how much i love the wizard of oz and how important it is to me on another podcast on uh on queer now which we've talked about before so if you want to hear me blubber for an hour about how wonderful this movie is a really good episode yeah you know feel free uh so yeah i mean the wizard of oz like it, it is one of those when you do a podcast about it you're like God, what do I say about this? Like we have, t- like it has been talked about by fucking everybody, by film scholars, by really smart, smart people. How do I come at this with a new perspective? But it's yeah. great. It's Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's Wizard of Oz, and also another Victor Fleming film, sort of. You know, another film that had multiple yes, yeah. co-directors and people yes. sitting in and out. I do want yep. to suggest as well, um, if people haven't seen Wizard of Oz in a long time, go and pick up that 4K disc because oh my God, it is beautiful. heavenly. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. What and a like, stunning transfer! And what what better movie to find out if you if you really want or need 4K than a movie like that that goes from sepia to the brightest possible Technicolor you can imagine? It is a shock to the system when it yeah. happens. Yeah, movie. quite literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and then um, we have um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, another Frank Capra movie, uh, starring Jimmy Stewart, and this is a movie I am sure that I have seen before. Um, I'm pretty sure we watched it in school when I was like eight years old or something like that. I have no memory of it. Right. So this is, it was basically like a new watch for me. And Andrew, like this is up there with Capra's best. And anyone who knows me and knows how much I love It's a Wonderful Life knows how strong of a statement that is. But, and I kept thinking this movie is like so genuine that if you cast anyone other than Jimmy Stewart, I don't think this movie works at all. It falls apart. Yeah. You have to have someone you just inherently trust. Like, if this was made now, you cast Tom Hanks, right? Like, it has to be that level of care. Or maybe if you made it, I don't know, not to be a dick, but 15 or 20 years ago when Tom Hanks was a little bit younger. I don't think he could play a junior senator at this point in his career. But, like, you need someone of that caliber who you just – who's a good actor but is also someone that everybody absolutely loves. And Jimmy Stewart really fits that bill. And, man, it's such a good movie, wasn't it? Oh, look, uh, this is probably my favorite out of the bunch. Um, you know, Wizard of Oz is a masterpiece for sure. Um, and one of the, the Ninochka is also a really, really great film. Uh, but Mr. Smith Goes to Washington feels like it's precisely made for my sensibilities. And I'd avoided it for so long. And I actually almost didn't watch it because part of me was like, you know, you read the plot description. I'm like, this feels like work. Like, this it feels does, like work. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that, like, I have uh, slowly peer pressured you into watching these movies. Yeah. Like, it started out, you know, I'm just going to watch the winner. You do whatever you want, Dave. And now you're like, well, <laughs> okay, maybe I'll watch. Well, it helps, it, yeah, it helps that these are good films. Yeah. You know? I mean, we're we're getting to that place where I think the Academy is starting to figure some stuff out. Like there's some earlier years where I'm like, there's like two or three out of 10 that you're like, Oh, that was really good. And the rest you're like, what this, 
no one no one remembers this and for good reason uh, but you mentioned Ninochka. we'll talk about that in another episode um but that is my favorite out of the bunch like that is the one and i was so surprised by this because i'd never fucking heard of it uh but we'll talk about that in our next episode <laughs> but now andrew you have pussyfooted around and dodged long I enough. I delayed us for 10 minutes. It, it, is, <laughs> it is time to talk about the racist classic, God with the Wind. So was this, if I remember right, this is a movie you hadn't seen before? Uh, I've true? seen half of it before. So I've seen the first half. She was tired and hungry. She's never going to do this again. Uh, yes. Turns right, she had to do it again. Um, <laughs> and then at the end, she's also kind of like, Maybe I'll eat dirt. Um, <laughs> the end. Uh, that's gone with the wind, everybody. <laughs> um, this is a miracle yeah, that yeah. I, I find. All right, let's start talking about the direction first of all, okay? Because just like The Wizard of Oz, I find it a miracle that this kind of film did actually get made and, and coherently got made. Because we talk about, you know, we talk about something like uh, Solo, Star Wars story, which, you mm. know, was pretty much completely directed and then they went no we don't like that let's get ron howard in <laughs> and i haven't seen it but by all accounts unless you're a star wars diehard faithful it's a shit film and yet i will know, say that at... i am i am not in that category but like it's it's fine i don't remember a goddamn thing about it so it couldn't have been that bad uh because if it was bad i would remember something about it i wish it was bad it's just like a like oh yeah that's a movie that happened it just exists yeah 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 exactly exactly so gone with the wind and just like again uh the wizard of oz is uh essentially credited as a victor fleming film uh victor fleming won best director for gone with the wind however george kukor and sam wood uh, also came in and did some directing, um, which Sam Wood was nominated for Goodbye Mr. Chips in the same year. So it kind of maybe feels like a thank you for doing some effort on this film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is, you know, it's a it's a four hour film about Scarlett O'Hara and uh, Tara and Ashley uh, and a whole bunch of um, American Civil War stuff. It's 1861. <laughs> Uh, it's long, it's, 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 it's long. And then Brett Butler also appears. Uh, I'm doing a great description of this too. Yeah, it's um, excellent. It's, it's great. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. <laughs> Please circle the drain. I'm enjoying this. This is great. <laughs> Brett, Brett Butler appears, who is the, uh, very strapping Clark Gable. This makes it, um, three Hard, films that Clark man. Gable has. Holy oh, he's shit, a beautiful man. man. And this is I maybe the best he's looked. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree. And I was thinking that as I was watching it, like, man, this guy was in a lot of Oscar-nominated movies. And be- like, three Best Picture winners, you know? Yeah. It Happened yeah. One Night, Mutiny on the Bounty, and Gone with the Wind. Three very different performances, by the way. And that's in, what, that's in less than a decade, right? We've only been doing 13 so far, right? Or yeah, 12? I mean, the show feels like it's been going for a decade. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, for his career, like, within a decade in three Best Picture winners? Yep. That's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. And it's not just like, oh, he was kind of a part of this. He was a big part of all those movies. Like, yeah. he was a star in all of those and held his own. It's pretty impressive stuff. It really is. And, yeah, he's I, – I think that he's one of the, the great things about this particular film. Uh, it won, of course, a whole yeah. bunch of awards, 10 awards uh, all up. Um, so, yeah, Best Picture, Best Director. And then also Vivian Lee won for Best Actress as Scarlett O'Hara and Hattie McDaniel won for Best Supporting Actress uh, as Mammy, the um, 
the servant, the, the, the slave servant, I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, look, mm-hmm. I, I also want to sort of pre-phrase this particular discussion as being like, I am fairly ignorant to the whole American Civil War stuff. I What I know about it comes through films. Um I didn't. I didn't learn about it in high school. I didn't attend uh, that particular year of history then. So, um, and while I I should know a lot more, um, I also don't really have that much of an interest because I'm still learning about my own history in Australia. Right. right. Uh, and so I'm I'm more focused on that. And it's not uh, willful ignorance. I just you know there's only so much um, <laughs> colonialism and, and aggression and and fighting within one's own land that one can take. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yet if I watched Gone with the Wind and <laughs> sat here and went, you know, this is my history lesson and, and rule of thumb, don't. don't ever take a film as a history lesson. It, it, it should never be used as a history lesson. But if I use Especially it as a history lesson. Especially not this one. Yeah. Especially not this one. Yeah. If I use it as a history lesson, then it seems that the North, who are the good people... Uh, and who won were actually bad. Uh, yeah. Is this correct? All right. So and okay. and I, we should also prephrase prephrase this as well. I, that's not even the right word, but anyway, you're from the south. You live in the south now, Dave. Is this correct? Well, I'm I'm from the north. I live in the <laughs> south. Let's get that straight, buddy. Um, all right. So as I sat down to watch this movie, Andrew, I was like, okay. Racist movie. I have to be aware when it was made. I got to be ready for the stereotype. Okay. I think I'm ready. And somehow, Andrew, this movie was more racist than I remember. Like from the opening crawl, like from the little description that they gave at the start of the movie, where they're talking about like, oh, a land lost to time. And oh, what a shame that we don't have it. And then they have like little black children on a wheel. Like I was just like, oh, my God. And even the like supposed to the, the characters you're supposed to like, like like Scarlett O'Hara's dad, you know, like later in the movie has some statement like, well, you gotta be nice to the, the people working for you. Quote, especially the darkies. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like I forgot just how blatant this movie is. And you mentioned this kind of North versus South thing, and it's so interesting. And I can't believe it ever got made in this way. It's so interesting to watch a story from a goddamn loser's perspective go like, oh, those people in the north, those damn Yankees, they're so terrible. And like not only saying it from that perspective, but there's all these sequences where it's like, oh, the northern soldiers are out to rape the women and kill the men and they're animals. And and I was just like, wow, I forgot about all of this. Like – it's a four-hour movie that, like, before I watched it again, and granted, it's been I, – I think I mistakenly said when we were talking on a previous episode that it's been, like, at least 10 years. I don't think I've watched this since I was a kid. So it's probably, like, been, like, 30 years since I've seen this movie. And the things I remember – one, I thought the, like, I'll never go hungry again was at the very end. Uh, it was in the goddamn middle, and I was like, oh, God, there's another two hours of this shit. Um, and then I remember Clark Gable. Right. I remember especially the like, you know, the, I don't give a I don't give a damn, you know, that bit. That's that's a really important bit. Which in everybody film history. seems to think is like the final line of the film. But then Scarlett yeah. goes on for the soliloquy, which is just like. I can't let him go. I can't. 
must be some way to bring him back. Oh, I can't think about it now. I'll go crazy if I do. I'll, I'll think about it tomorrow. Okay, so here's what I'll say as far as good things about this movie. It is beautifully shot. Wonderful. Uh, I, I feel like uh, George Cooker doesn't get enough credit for this movie because you can see his fingerprints. If you watch his other movies, you can see his fingerprints all over this movie. Like, this is the, the man that gave credit for it. God bless him. But uh, nah, this is not your movie. Sorry. Sorry to say. Um, beautifully shot. Um, looks like, especially for a movie from the 30s, looks like uh, genuine. Like, it, it looks like you're in those towns. It looks like you're in that world. Wonderful. Um, great performances. Both Vivian Lee and Clark Abel especially. Oh, my God. They're so amazing together. I mean, it helps that they are both, like, the pinnacle of human beauty uh, in this movie. Like, they are very pleasant to look at. But they have this, like, fiery charisma together that, like, oh, my God. Like, Ashley who? Who gives a shit? That's the part that's the hardest for me to get behind is her continuing to be in love with this fucking blonde nonsense. When you've got Clark goddamn Gable right next to you like what are you what are you doing no one no one is buying this so they really work together i mean hattie mcdaniel is good but it's like a it's such a stereotypical role that it's hard for me like i am glad in some ways i'm glad it exists it was the first african-american oscar winner that's a beautiful moment um watching her a watching tapes of her accept that award are really powerful but it's such a it's such a racist role it's like i mean there's a reason there is the mammy stereotype like that it's here here it is all of it right here in front of you so that's really rough um and, and but her performance sorry, is well, very good yeah and as well obviously there's prissy too who played by Bob oh that's Lyman the worst that's the worst one that's the worst one that's 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 the <laughs> worst like the i don't know nothing about birth and no babies like all this it's just so over the top and you're like it's painting black people as less intelligent less capable all this stuff and i just e e yeah i, do I not feel like really sorry for that actress as well because you can tell that she was directed that way oh no, yeah. no, no, no. Be, I, be more shrill be more annoying right you know and i remember watching this as a kid thinking like not knowing anything about racism or, or culture or what was being done finding that character really funny and i look back on it now and i'm like Ugh. 
Ooh, this is not great. Um, so there's so much that goes on. It's it's interesting because it's like if you can, which you cannot, but if you could, like remove all the horrible racism from this movie, which is hard to do because it's it's like it's a feature of it, right? It's about the Civil War, so you're gonna have that. But if you could possibly remove all of this, it's a good movie. It's well performed. It's well directed. It's beautiful to look at. But it's so hard for me in 2021 to be like. Oh, except for like all the slave narratives, like this is a really enjoyable movie because like from the from the first five minutes, I was already like, like just kind of clenching my my fists, like kind of like, ooh, oh, it's going to be a long sit. I don't know if I can get through this. This is a lot. But like, you know, we, we talked about, you know, our two lead characters, um, but like our other lead female character, another kind of great, great performance as well. Um, what's her name? What's the Olivia, what's the actual what's her name? Olivia, Olivia de Havilland, Havilland. <laughs> yeah. which, which I just saw, and I just saw her recently in the Robin Hood movie. Um, so it's like, and that's another great performance. Like she's she's one of those um kind of old Hollywood actresses that like people recognize the name, but I don't think really know much about her and who she was and the performances that she gave. But like. Her kind of genuineness um, and her kind of always doing the right thing, being this wonderful foil for Scarlet, I think it's just kind of a stroke of genius for either from the original author or from the screenwriter. Like it really, really works because it's a really interesting thing to do because you're following Scarlet through this whole thing, right? Mm. And she, let me not mince words, she is a fucking bitch. Like she's terrible. She's a terrible person. But you're following her. She's your protagonist. So you half expect the movie to have Olivia de Havilland's character be a little underhanded, right? And so you can you can get behind Scarlet, but it never does that. Like, no, Scarlet is just a bad person, but the performance is so good that you're going to go along with it. And it's kind of a gutsy move from a screenwriting perspective. Well, I do wonder if they made Scarlet so uh, frustrating and so shrill and annoying Um because they needed to like she's our entry point to the south effectively mm-hmm. and in a way like my reading of this film i think it's fine it's a three-star film really um you know there is there that's are good better than pa- I expected from yeah you, that's- <laughs> um i can see why people still love it i understand that and there are some really wonderful uh pieces from uh a black perspective about appreciating and enjoying this particular film. I'll stick them in the show notes. Um, But I look at a character like Scarlet and in a way she is so, she is such a bitch. She is, she is such a, a, an unlikable person that because she is our entry point to the South, we can't Mm -hmm. help but see everything through her perspective and think what you're working in and what you are working for is terrible too. The yeah. problem is, is the film doesn't believe that. The film does romanticize slavery. Yeah. It does romanticize the South so much that while you can read the film from that perspective, it is very hard to create a a clear through line of that. Um, does it feel like you're like doing gymnastics though to like to read it in a nice way, right? You're like, ooh, we got to be really flexible about this to read this in positive ways. Well, I I kept on coming at this film throughout, and I watched it over two days because again, it's four hours long. Um, Same. And mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that really helped because I I had the ability to go away, think about it, and come back and attack it from another angle. But for a film like this, you can't help but think. 
all right, why is this still so dearly loved? And you try and get on the wavelength of people who still love this particular film because there are people who are really passionate about it, really passionate about it. And that's interesting. It's a choice. Um, You know, especially, again, you know, given the other nominees for this year and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I just, I find it fascinating why people still love this film is it the the nostalgia you know things were better back then kind of um perspective um but then on the same hand i wonder as well like this denial of what actually happened and the reasoning for everything that happened you know i don't think it's much of a stretch to say that like the events that happened like we're recording this on the 2nd of april well first of april for you but it's you know, mm. we're, we're effectively three months removed from an attack on um, the capital in America. You know, yep. the, the, you, your most sacred of places politically. And it's not hard to see a connection between the events that are depicted in Gone with the Wind and how romanticized it is and what happened on that day where you still have sure. this dual narrative of people who think that the, the South won or the South should have won. And we're effectively, what, 150 years removed from this happening? 160 years? Yeah. Like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, I mean, I think that, I think a lot of the love for this movie, there's some of what you talked about. And I think most of that is subconscious, except for the, like, virulent racists who really, you know, you know, fly the flag and are like, the South will rise again and all that fucking horse shit. Like, those people, but like, you know they are at least were they seem to be a minority right but i think there is a because this movie was released so long ago it gets a pass from people on a lot of things and it's like so big and so bold and it's a melodrama um and and it's like it's playing to the back row it's playing to the lowest common denominator like you don't have to be a very smart person to get what this movie is putting down like it is very it wears it on its sleeve so it's like it's it's long yes but it's easy to understand where it's coming from um unless you think a little bit more deeply about it and then it's upsetting um and i think sometimes we talk about movies like this and we're always like well we're looking at it with 2021 eyes and blah 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 but i want you to listen to something that i just found online um so carlton moss who was a black dramatist during the time wrote an open letter and he said okay you all hopefully you all know about the birth of a nation uh maybe the most racist uh money maker in history Right. Just horribly, horribly offensive stuff. I do not recommend you watch it. Um, It's disgusting and you shouldn't watch it. But just know that it gave rise to the Ku Klux Klan coming back and painted black people as animals and rapists and murderers. Bad stuff. Right. He said the birth of a nation was a frontal attack on American history and the Negro people gone with the wind was a rear attack on the same. Right. So this is what was said about it by actual black people during the 1930s so this is not just us looking at this through a woke lens like this is really offensive stuff and really disgusting right there are no full black characters in this movie there are only stereotypes it would be one thing if you had at least one character one black character like even if it was mammy who's like okay this is someone to care about this is someone to live a full life all we get from her is that she she cares about Scarlet, uh, and she likes red dresses, I guess. Like, she, uh, that, that's her thing. And that's it. Like, and other than that, she's mainly there to mug at the camera. 
and to yell and to be over the top. That's not a full character. Prissy certainly is not a full character. And then the other slaves that work on the farm are not full characters. And worse, they are shown as people who are loyal to the O'Hara's. There's not a single moment of like, fuck this, I am out of here. Like, Civil War is on, I'm going to escape. There's none of that. It's all like, we're just happy working hard, which is maybe even more damaging than the other stereotypes in the movie. Mm. You know, painting not just some, but all of these black folk in the South as like, well, we were really happy just to work on this farm for no money. Like, come come on. Like, this is disgusting. And then, like, and then it, yeah. And it's so hard for me to separate that from the rest of the movie. Like, yeah. I was just like, honestly, like, I watched this over two days. I watched the first hour one day and then three hours the next day. And I, I honest to God, I was just in a bad mood for four hours. Like, I was just, ugh, I don't like this feeling because there's so much bad about it. It's a good movie that has a ugly message um, that treats anyone not white and rich terribly. Yeah, you know, just ugh. and it's like there's not enough. Honestly, there's not enough Clark Gable for me to get behind this movie, because like anytime he's not on screen, I'm like, I'm over this, honestly. And anytime he's on screen, he's got so much charm and so much charisma and he works so well with everyone in this movie, like whether it be Scarlett or whether it be um, Olivia de Havilland's character, like there is a give and take there that's really fun. And, it, and if the movie was just that. I'd be all in on this movie. It would, wouldn't need to be four hours. It would be charming and fun. It would be a romantic comedy. It would be great. Uh, but unfortunately, it's like, no, let's focus on the farm and let's focus on this, you know, this dead girl on a horse. And like, oh, God, who cares? Like, I'm so done with this movie. I I own this movie, and it felt like it's a movie like, oh, well, you got to own that, right? It's Gone with the Wind. It's Wizard of Oz. It's like Fill in the Lords of Arabia, whatever the movie is. It's like, oh, it's a classic. I should own it. And now I kind of regret because I don't unless I do it for another podcast like I'm never watching this again I'll never watch this again yeah there's no way and it's not just a length thing I've watched Lawrence of Arabia three times in the last two years and that's four hours long too but this is just like there's not enough good to get me through all the just not even bad but just hideousness that surrounds this movie and it's like and the worst part about the hideousness that's in it is it doesn't ever reckon with it it doesn't ever take a close look about how awful this situation is. It's about how great the South was. And mm. I'm like, uh, yeah, South, not great. Not great during the 1800s, man. Like, people, like, not only was slavery a thing, but, like, slavery is propped up by murder. Like, murder and torture. That's what, that's what supposedly these black people were like, oh, I would never want to leave. Like, all right, come on. Like, your whole family has been murdered and separated, and you were sold as livestock. I think you want to leave. I, yeah. I think, and not, not to say that they were, there weren't black folk during that time that stayed, right? That did happen. But in this, it's like 100% of them wanted to stay. And worse, wanted to protect poor Scarlet. Yeah, like I was like, exactly. Yeah. And, and then the, the carpetbagger who they, they meet who comes up to Tara is like this grotesque figure of this black person dressed in yep. like this, you know, exuberant garb and very the, much the like, bad ones. And yeah, he's like one of the bad yeah. ones. Yeah. And I mean, I don't understand. This is again, coming like t- treating a film, like a, a history lesson. I don't know what a carpet bagger is or, or why they had that name. It sounds different. Um, mm. But on the same hand, it's just like the film isn't holding your hand and that's fine. It's not intending to do that. It, it, it suggests that everybody who um, 
watches it should already have a appreciation of, of American history and all that kind of stuff, but that's, that's fine. Uh, this is not the first time that that kind of film has won Best Picture. We look at Cavalcade and the, the you know, the move to that, that camera move to showing the ring and the Titanic and stuff like that, which is, um, you know, you have to know what has gone on, that kind of thing. Um, I've written in my notes as well that Gone with the Wind plays like a forefather to Zero Dark Thirty, you know, in the sense that um, we're not, this kind of uh, lack of interrogation of um, the actual subject matter, the core subject mm. matter of the film, uh, and they're just like, yeah, it's not bad. You know, like slavery, not bad. Torture, not bad. You know, and, and kind of thing. And it's just... Uh-huh. And there are defenders. So the reason why that film came to mind is that there are so many stringent and strong defenders of something like Zero Dark Thirty and like Gone with the Wind because people benefited from it. People... Right. And it's hard to take... Um, it's hard to take something that people might have generally had a direct influence or a benefit from, and especially if the, the your lineage is comes from people who owned slaves in America, it's hard to break that, especially when they might be one or two, gen- like two, three generations removed. It's from not that long ago, man. Happening. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. not that long ago. And it's hard to look at your, your, your grandparents or your grandparents, grandparents and, and say, you know they weren't. They were. They were bad people. It's hard to do that. It is. Yes. And it's. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. <laughs> I understand that. But on the same hand, if they owned slaves, they were bad people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There were lots of bad people throughout history. Sorry, one of them was your mama or whatever. But like, it's you know they're bad people. You just have, you have to reckon with that. And and that again is what is so upsetting about this movie to me is you can't. You can't say, oh, it's just the time. This was, you know, almost 100 years, you know, like 70, 75 years after slaves were freed. At this point, there, yes, obviously, virulent racism existed in the 1930s and 40s. But uh, imagine the 1930s and 40s being like, yeah, yeah, slavery was a good thing. Yeah. Like, that's what this movie is saying. And it's fucking, it's so wild to me because it feels like a movie that was made in 1870. Like, it's just, like, like if that, I'd be a lot more accepting of it. Like, okay, we're only, like, five years past, like, this being outlawed. Okay, Ugh, still don't like it, but, okay, let's move forward. But, like, 1937, 1938, like, enough time has passed that you should know. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it would be like making, it would be like making a movie in Germany in 1970. And being like, you know what? Killing Jewish people, not that bad. Like, what do you, What? Like, that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to say. And yet, it, it's it's interesting, because when we get to talk about, like, does this film matter, it's going to be really difficult, because it's, like, such a known quantity. Difficult right? for you. It's not difficult it's gonna, for me. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I didn't say about this movie, I did say it was good to look at, but, like, one of the things I posted on Twitter, because I'm an asshole, about this movie was the, the gif of, uh, you know, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Because uh, this movie, like... The costuming in this movie, holy shit. Like, some of the best ever. Like, I don't care if you're what time period you're talking about, like, this this stunning, stunning work here. Like, just I mean, just beautiful suits, beautiful gowns, everyone looks 
perfect in this movie and not in the way where everyone looks like sometimes everyone looks perfect in the way where everyone looks like a little bit above their station right like too nice and i don't think you get that here like you get like you know even the like the soldiers uniforms are like distressed and dirty in the right way like you can tell a lot of care was taken in this movie mm. and that's i think the best thing i can say about it is that like a lot of care was taken here i mean I, even I was reading up on the background of this movie. I mean, they delayed it for two years because the director wanted Gable so bad. And I was like, that, sir, was the right choice. Oh, yeah. I would not say that about very many actors. And I guess they, like, did this huge search for Scarlett O'Hara. They they had, like, 1,400 women audition for this role. And, like, you know, at first they wanted Betty Davis, but she said no. You know, there were a bunch of, like, either famous or soon-to-be famous actresses that were thought about for this movie. And honestly... Vivian Lee, I can't imagine a better Scarlett O'Hara. Like, given what the script demands, like, yes, she is not a likable character. She is over the top. She is melodramatic. But, like, that's baked in. Like, this is not an indictment of Vivian Lee's acting or her performance. Like, that's just who Scarlett O'Hara is. So I think she played it perfectly. I don't really enjoy the movie because of all the stuff that goes on around it, right? Um, but both her... Uh, her and the male lead are just so great. Mm. Like I just that that is the only reason I would pop this back in again is maybe like just jump to the scenes they have together because they're really enjoyable. Like if it's even out of context. Like you don't even need the rest of the movie. Just watching the two of them together kind of banter back and forth, and it's really fun. Like even the first the first time they they kind of meet where she's like throwing stuff at the wall, like and almost hitting him, and then she has to explain that away. Like that stuff is kind of like kind of magical and kind of fun. Like I was like, let's follow these two. There's Lee, some chemistry Tara there. behind. Yeah. yeah, just go live in a little house and you know fight amongst yourselves it'll be great yeah. you know like it'll be enjoyable but like there's so much other bullshit in this movie that i'm like Ugh, i don't know man so there's two things i want to talk about as well uh the main interest for scarlet is of course ashley wilkes played by leslie howard and all right so why do you think <laughs> why why is scarlet so obsessed with ashley wilkes is it because he is the forbidden fruit that she can't have uh and you know, obviously, as we see at the end, after everybody else has died and it's just her and Ashley left um, and she finally gets him, that she kind of thinks, well, I don't want him anyway, um, you know, because the the conquest, the, the, the search for him is more entertaining and exciting for her than actually getting him himself. But also, do you feel mm. that there is some kind of love and affection for Ashley? Because, you know... <laughs> prior to long way before this, uh, Scarlett gets married, and then you know, with it, I, I love how I love how quickly this film dispatches of people. Uh, it, it, it clearly <laughs> yeah. does not care about some of the peripheral characters at all. And given this film is four hours long, it is very easy to forget that she was married, and literally the very next scene, he is dead. Uh, and later on, I just had to remind myself of who you were talking about. I was like, she was married. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that that's right. Yeah, him. That fucking schlub. Yeah. He was so in love with her and she was using him. Oh yeah. yeah that guy. And yeah, then later on that she has a kid and then that her kid dies as well. And it's like, you know, that's a whole sequence which goes for about 15 minutes of, you know, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Rhett taking the kid over to London and stuff. And then she's like, I want to go back to mom. And then goes back to mom and then the kid dies. But yeah, like 
I'm I, sorry to laugh, but that scene is like so comical. Like the way that child dies. Like I mean, it's so. Well, it's as so I as I messaged to you, it, it is it is very Dexter's son uh, falling off the treadmill. You know, and yes. I, uh, for some reason, I continually bring in that show up. This is the second time <laughs> I've mentioned it on this po- particular podcast. But, um, uh, I mean, know, it's just like, it's so obvious what's going to happen. And her like, oh, just like dad. And it's like, okay, that kid's fucking dead. Yeah. Like, there's no. And then the way it's filmed is comical. I mean, it's a kid falling ass over tea kettle off a horse. I mean, it's funny. Like, I, sorry. Uh, and this is actually one of my big issues with the, with the movie is, and this ties back in to the Ashley thing. There are things that the movie wants you to care about, uh, but they're done so poorly that you don't. So, um, no, I don't think she has any real love for Ashley. I don't think she ever did. Um, And I don't think it's just I don't think it's only that he was forbidden fruit. It's kind of it's kind of that, but it's a sideways look at that. The problem isn't that he's forbidden. The problem is that he chose someone over her. That that's the issue. She cannot. His cousin yeah. she cannot <laughs> fathom the idea that anyone would choose anyone else. And I get it. She's hot. Like, yeah, you're, you have hot people problems. That's yeah, of course. Um, but none of that matters. Like they throw in all these scenes of them, like supposedly flirting. And it, I makes me feel bad. Cause Leslie Howard's a very good actor. Um, I, I'd mentioned a movie. He has been in on this podcast before he was the lead in Pygmalion. Um, wonderful performance, wonderful actor, but there's not very much for him to do here, right? He's like, uh, hug his wife, uh, cheat on her, kind of, like, that's it. And there's not much here. He's just there to be kind right? So you don't get a real sense, because Scarlet is a character that is not likable and doesn't have a lot of, like, human characteristics. <laughs> like, she is more like a lizard than a human being, so it's, like, very hard to imagine her caring for him in any way. So all these moments of like, oh, it should have been me. And I was like, eh, should it though? And the only time there is any amount of humanity in her is when she's with Rhett. Because he's the only one who has the fucking balls to challenge her on her bullshit. Right? Ashley does not. The the worst that he does is say, like, I'm not going to be with you. He doesn't ever challenge her. He doesn't ever say, like, I don't love you. I don't care about you. I care about her. He's not strong enough to do that, which I get. Again, she's very hot. I understand that. But... You know, so that stuff never works. So there's, like, all these characters that, like, they want you to care about, and it's amazing that in a four-hour movie they couldn't manage it. The only There's only, like, two char- three characters they that you care about in this movie, in a four-hour movie, and that is a shame. Because well, I think I find... there's, there's work to be done with those characters. Yeah. But like you said, they just shunt them off to the side so quickly, and we get back to Scarlet and Pretty Dresses. So, like, all this work is kind of for naught. Yeah, exactly. And I, I one of the things I find really interesting is that they equally wrap Scarlet up in cotton wool, actively doing so and protecting her for so many things. But then the same hand there, it's like there's somebody who is continually applying new cotton wool while on the other hand there's somebody who's pulling it off. Like mm. going, look at this spot here and look at this spot here. Um, one of the other things which I wanted to touch on, which I find really interesting, is do you think that Gone with the Wind would be a more fascinating or um, contextually uh, better approach film if Melanie Hamilton, Olivia de Havilland's character, was the lead character? Because I, I look at this film mm. and I keep on wondering what kind of narrative this would... I don't think it would be as well-loved. Because I think that part of the reason why people like this film is because Scarlett is both an interesting and engaging person 
equally mm-hmm. dislikable, but also very entrancing. Melanie is not that person. Olivia de Havilland is great here. She is really, really great. But on the same hand, she she does actions that um, feel more in tune with what the, the narrative is saying. And what I mm. mean is in the sense that uh, when Scarlet starts up a business and works with the people from the North and, you know, everybody around her, including Melanie, is like, how how could you do this? How could you set up a lumberjack business and work with the people of the North? They're, they're still our enemies. And yet Scarlet is like, well, I still got to earn money, you know, and that's the only kind of uh, moment of cohesiveness and an acceptance that, the old world no longer exists and I've got to move forward with the new world. And yet Melanie mm-hmm. is like, I will never do business with those people at all. And for me, right. Melanie seems like the kind of um, the white woman nowadays who is like, she is reserved. And on the surface, you think that she might be a little bit more accepting of change and things like that, but she's very stuck in her ways. Um, yeah. You know, I am the the wife who has to stay home, have kids, and look after the house and tend to it all. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Scarlett actually gets out and does work in the fields as much as she whinges about it. She does do all of these kinds of things. She has action and agency in a way that Melanie is feels constrained by... Yeah. I will say, though, the movie system. takes that opportunity to have her work in the field so they can place her once again over the lazy savages who work this on the is farm. True. Yeah. Like she never complains and they always do, which yeah. is disgusting. Um, but I get what you're saying. Here's what I'll say. General blanket statement. This movie would not be as popular, but would be better if you focus on literally any character other than her. Um, because she's one note. She's, she's one thing. She's overdramatic. She yells a lot. She's never going to be stopped. That's boring to me. Um, follow Melanie. Fine. Uh, follow, follow Mammy. Show me what she's like behind the scenes when Scarlet isn't there, when she's talking to her friends, and have this fucking crazy white lady show up every every 25 minutes or so to, like, yell and scream and tear her dress and do nuts of stuff, and then go back to her story. I think that would be really interesting. Also interesting, go from uh, Rhett Butler's perspective, right? You get to see this woman kind of coming into his life a couple different times. You get to see him being captured by the army and trying to work his way out of that situation, trying to, like, make his way in the world. Also a more interesting movie. I think it's, like, shock. Like, it's kind of surprising me. I think sometimes when you watch a movie that's this beloved and you don't like it very much, like, I think this is a fine movie. This is kind of a middle-of-the-road movie. I can understand why people like it, but it's not for me, and that's fine. But when a movie is this beloved, I think sometimes we work really hard and we contort ourselves to like it more than we do because you're like oh i gotta be missing something like there's gotta be what 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 do you weirdos like about this that i am completely missing and i think this is a movie that like i have doubts about people who truly love this movie like i have concerns like because one of two things are, are happening you're completely ignoring cultural context which i think is pretty damaging in this movie or you're lying <laughs> or you're saying like no i like it because it's a five-star movie everyone loves gone with the wind and it's a very easy thing to fall into mm. when a movie wins this many oscars i think you know i like this movie but you could say the same thing about titanic you know oh one eleven oscars it must be great blah 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 and you fall into that like ready to like a movie and i think there's a lot of that going on here and i think there's a lot of improvements that could be made about this movie. i mean you take it from 
any other angle, and I think this is a really interesting story because I can't think of things many much more boring, like following uh, a lady who is really rich, um, really high class, and complains about her life constantly. Like that's that's fucking boring. But if she does that every twenty five minutes in reference to another interesting character who is actually struggling to survive, that's interesting to me. And there's a lot to be gleaned from that. So do you think that, like for me, I, I see that this film obviously is a major um, Best Picture winner. It's it's one of the ones that people continually talk about when they, and when they think of Academy Awards, they think of films like Gone with the Wind. They yeah. think of films like Titanic as being a Best Picture winner. And, you know, once again, we're, this is the 12th Academy Awards and, you know, we're uh, recording this and, and this will come out just after the um, 92nd Academy Awards. And so we've got 92 films, 92.5 films that have been uh, won Best Picture. And yet when people think of Best Picture winners, they tend to think of like a handful of like 10 films, you know, right. Gladiator, uh, Gone with the Wind, that kind of stuff. Green Book. I mean, Green yeah. Book, yeah, <laughs> Rain Man, um, yeah, and so I wonder how much, for the people who do love this film, I wonder how much that status as being a major Best Picture winner actually plays into their affection of it. Does it play yeah. into it at all? Uh, I, I find it really curious. I bet and... it does. I bet it does. I mean, it, it's so hard to ignore, right? I mean, it would be like, so I have a lot of friends online who are in like their, you know, early 20s to early 30s right and i bet they feel the same way about something like silence of the lambs like you can't ignore that that won like every major award just like i go into this thinking like oh this is the big one of the big oscar winners whenever people rank the oscar winners this is usually in the top five or top 10 of all these 92 and a half movies and you're like okay this is the one and like i think it's hard to like it's hard to negate that it's hard to separate that it's also, you know, hard to separate virulent, awful racism. So, but you know, that's, that's six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> don't even out, right? That's <laughs> Who is it hard to separate for? Because, like, we... Look, I think, I truly think that um, even people my age, um, and I'm in my 40s, we do make the mistake of looking at these old movies and thinking, like, oh, we didn't know any better. It's fine. And then you start reading up on, like, what people of color at the time were saying, they were like, no, we should have known better. Like, this is, this is a fucking problem. Um, but I think we forgive all this stuff. And we're like, well, it was 1937. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Let's just, you know, it's very much the same argument as separating the art from the artist, you know, like it's that kind of thing. We're like, well, we have to forgive it. Cause like, that's not what this is about, you know, but like in the case of this movie, like it's what it's about. Like, it, this yeah, is not a thing it. where it's like, it's oh, like... it's a ancillary thing. Like, like you cannot, you you cannot do a good job of talking about this movie and not bring up race. It's set during the end of the fucking Civil War. Civil War is all about race. No matter what people in the South tells you, it was not about states' rights. It was about states owning human beings and profiting off them for generations, you know, through terrorism and torture and murder. Like, that is what the Civil War was about. That's what they want to keep. Um, so, like, you can't. I don't think you can with in good conscience, you can't separate that. Mm. That has to be a part of your discussion. You can have a discussion about liking this movie as long as you talk about that stuff too. Right. You can't, you can't negate it. Like it's just, it's just impossible. Like, and I heard, and it's really interesting because we'll talk about this eventually, sadly, but people tried to do the same thing with green book 
where it was like, oh, well, it's not really about race. It's not, like, oh, yeah, it kind of is, it literally man. Like, is. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is. Literally, that's the plot. Like, And it's can't... in the title. <laughs> it's a right. literal. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, this is a, 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 I don't know how many 20-something-year-old listeners we have, if we have any at all. Uh, looking at the stats, um, our, our listener base is um, predominantly 30-something men from America and Australia. And thank you very much for those 30-something men. I like that I'm bringing in the young folks, the 30-somethings. Good. Good. But I'm, I'm genuinely curious what somebody who's just turned 20, like a 19-year-old turned 20, what their thoughts are on this particular film, how they feel about it, you know, that, that kind of thing. Because I, I look at a film like Gone with the Wind, and besides the distinct uh, difference in quality... Um, you know, and and the distinct difference in acting and direction and stuff like that. It's hard to look at this and think there is a major overlap with something like Cimarron. And look, I'm as surprised as you are that, you know, the one film that we continually bring up on this darn podcast (laughs) is fucking Cimarron, you know, but... You just had to bring in the hot take. (laughs) You know what? Not that bad. Kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I can't let that down. But on the same hand, I keep on thinking about it because of the fact that it kind of typifies what uh, a Best Picture winner can be in so many different ways. And Gone with the Wind, again, quality aside and all this kind of stuff, is no different than Cimarron. Um, The narrative is very apologetic. The narrative is very... um, this is how it is, and this how it was, and a lot of us think this is how it should still be. Yep. Um, and so I, if Cimarron was prettier, it would be a better movie. That's exactly. what I'm telling you, Andrew. Yeah. If it had hot ass people in it, then I would be like, okay. Excuse me. Good movie. Excuse me, Yancy Cravat. He is no Clark Gable, <laughs> my friend. He is no Clark Gable. Who is? But he is no Clark Gable, and there is no. There's no female equivalent to Vivian Lee in Cimarron, I am sorry to say. This is so. true. This is true. The uh, <laughs> the wife in that this film is, just uh, literally disappears. <laughs> hot or not edition. This is how you know I don't want to talk about a movie. Let's talk about how hot people are. That'll be fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> right. So I usually wouldn't ask this because this is not that kind of show. But I feel that it would well, be a disservice. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it would be a disservice to our listeners. Uh, if we didn't possibly recommend a film that might be... Like, if you are going to watch Gone with the Wind, what is a film that you should watch alongside this as to give yourself context for this particular film and the narrative that's taken place? Hmm, interesting. So, let's see. A Southern narrative, Civil War... Well, it doesn't hmm. even need to be about that because the film that comes to mind for me is Ava DuVernay's 13th which is about the continuation of slavery in modern times. And it does look at the, it does look at what the whole civil war, like I understand there was a, you know, a change to the constitution and effectively there was a loophole that basically said slavery is bad unless it's in these situations. And I feel that that is a really important film to watch alongside this because it's like, look at all of this that happened and yet, look at what's still going on. We can romanticize it as much as you want, but the reality is is that there is still a proportion of uh, African-American people who are 
you know, greatly represented in the prison system. There is far too many mm-hmm. black Americans in the prison system and they're kept there under the guise of slavery. So that's that's a film that right. comes to mind as something that, yeah. Yeah. And I, w- I would argue that The 13th uh, is the best thing that Ava DuVernay has ever done. I agree. Like, I, I, think yeah. it's, I think it's incredible. Uh, I think I legitimately, it's one of the few pieces of work uh, in the last couple decades that I think literally everyone should watch. Yep. Like you, you should see it. You should know it. We talked about movies not being a history lesson. That one is. Yeah. Um, and it should be seen. Um, honestly, you know, there's, of course, thousands or at least hundreds of movies about slavery and black pain. And like there's it seems to be a go to um, for Hollywood uh, always gets Oscar attention as well. Um, but the one I keep thinking about right now is 12 Years a Slave. Um, specifically because, you know, for better or worse, depending on, you know, your view of it, uh, it does show the torture of slavery and a little bit closer to what it was really like. And even that movie with all of the grotesque things it shows doesn't even scratch the surface. Like if you actually do some research about the terror of slavery, like it's like, I mean, people were skinned alive, like people were their children were murdered in front of them. Like babies were taken from them and murdered. Um, This is like, think of the worst things you can imagine and like times it by a thousand. Like it's horrific. Um, But it also, this movie also shows you an educated black man during this time um, who was not a slave and who left and was living his life and was relatively happy and what it's like to be dragged back into that. As opposed to a movie like Gone with the Wind, which shows the, complete myth-hood of the happy slave and the loyal slave, the person who would want to stay at Terra through all the... And not only stay at Terra after they could have been free, but, like, man, Terra fucking sucks. That place is terrible. Like, it's falling apart. Like, come on, man, you gotta hit the road. You gotta go. Like, uh, so kind of having those things be so opposite is really interesting to me. And it, and also, it's just, like, it's a great movie. Yeah. Stephen Queen's a great director. Like, it's it's fantastic. But I don't think... I don't to show you like how black pain on screen can be painful, even for someone like me who has no kin to that time. Right. Um, I've only watched it once. I watched it in the theaters and I it's it's a hard watch. It's like, a very it is, hard watch. Yeah. And makes it very different from Gone with the Wind, which like kind of like brushes aside all the terribleness. Right. This shows all the terribleness and it shows how hideous white folk were during that time. At least it gives you just a little bit of taste of it and never makes it silly, never makes it funny. It's like Django Unchained does. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was just thinking of. Yeah. And this makes it deadly, deadly serious. And it's very impactful. Yeah. Um, so that's the movie I would recommend. I had a question for you. Um, oh, where shit. do you rank he- Gone with the Wind in this year's? Oscar knees. Is it the worst of the bunch that you saw or? Yeah, look, I think it is. Um, Yeah. And look again, as I said, like it's a three star film. It's not a, it's not a dud of a film. There are, there are positive aspects here, but I, I, you know, I keep on coming back to it's the, the perennial question, which I have is like, geez, what would the history be like if wizard of Oz won? You know, what, like a better time, a better time. You know, we don't, it it takes until Oliver in 1969 for a kid's film to properly win. And I, I, you know, Gone Gone with the Wind is, you know, it's fine, but Wizard of Oz is a genuine inspiration for so many people. And, you know, I look at Spike Lee, it's Spike Lee's favorite film. And, you know, it's, Mm. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, it's That's fascinating. And when you when you know that and you look at his filmography, you're like, okay, I can see tendrils of that. And it's like, you know, for, for yeah, Wizard of can. Oz, yeah, there are... I think that somebody had said that basically every film after The Wizard of Oz is a remake of The Wizard of Oz. And I, I can understand that, you know. <laughs> like, there is no film more impactful in, in so many ways than Wizard of Oz. And yet I look at Gone with I the mean, Wind. I mean, it might be... It might be the greatest coming of age story ever put on film. Oh yeah. Like I mean I mean shit, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's such a that's such a standard of film and of novels as well. But the coming of age story is a big deal. And like when I watched it again recently as an adult, I was like, This is a great, great coming of age but it, story. It holds up in so many different ways. It is such a brilliant, yeah. brilliant film. For me, like and it's a, a movie you don't expect to hold up. It's a movie yeah. you, you think like, ah, it's a kid's movie. Ah, I'm not going to be into this. And then you watch it as a fucking, you know, 30 to 40 year old man. And you're like, this is magical. This is wonderful. And how often does that happen with, I mean, it is a kid's movie, right? And yet it feels like it still, it brings out that kid in you, but also feels like a movie you can enjoy as, as an adult. Oh yeah. And you see everything in a whole different light there. So yeah, I mean, Again, I didn't see Dark Victory, I didn't see Goodbye Mr. Chips, and I didn't see Wuthering Heights, but I would put Gone with the Wind down the bottom, just because, you know, I I will hold a film like Stagecoach up, and I will re-watch Stagecoach in the future. Uh, I probably won't re-watch Off Mice and Men, I saw it, you know, a long time ago, but I appreciated it then. Um, I really enjoyed Love Affair, I thought that was really good. I, you know... Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Ninochka are both films that very likely upon rewatch will be in my top 100 at all time, you know, and Wizard yeah. of Oz is already there. And, you know, it's hard to look at a film that I have to paint around the edges and, and color in the edges and all this kind of stuff and go, well, you know, it's got this, which is good, but you know, then it's also got this, like you make excuses for it for so many mm-hmm. different reasons. And it's hard to look at a film like this and go, yeah, it deserved to win Best Picture. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, personally, I can't wait till our next episode because then I get to talk about the movie that should have won. Yeah, Best Picture. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be. Yeah, but I just, uh, I think it leads to the final question, which we always ask, and and for you it might be a little bit harder, but for me, I already know the answer, and it's that this film doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that it might be hard for some people to listen to, but I don't think it does matter, and I find it very interesting. You know, way back when when we were discussing. Um, you know, Best Picture winners and nominees and stuff like that. I had proposed talking about Black Klansman as the companion film for this. Um, I haven't revisited that since it was in cinemas, but part of the reason why I mentioned that was because Spike Lee does use clips from Gone with the Wind in that particular film. And yet, now I've seen Gone with the Wind all the way through, I realize that 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 film is not really a commentary on um, this particular film at all. And I know that he uses in his uh, education and stuff like that for film students, he does use Gone with the Wind as an example uh, for people to understand because it's easier to use this than something like Birth of the Nation, as you mentioned. Um, But I just Mm -hmm. feel like I don't want to see the film that the modern filmmaker watches Gone with the Wind and is inspired to make a film by if that sentence mm. makes sense. I, I don't want to see the film where somebody says, I wish we made more films like that because mm. I don't need, we don't need that. We've moved past that as a society. We really do not need that <laughs> as a whole. Um, so for you, does it matter? Does it still? Uh, it matters with 
caveats. Um, so you're right. We don't need, quote unquote, more movies like Gone with the Wind if you're talking from a cultural lens. No, we don't. But the idea of a big, brash Hollywood production, I like that idea. And so do the Oscars. Like this this movie, like whether it should matter or not, it fucking has mattered. <laughs> like the Academy eats this shit up. So like, you know, these these big sprawling epics that look beautiful, that have beautiful stars that work well together. Like I'm fine with making more movies like that. As long as it's not fucking racist, like we can, we can have movies like that. So I think it matters in the sense of the style of movie it is. And it's also like from an Oscars perspective, like, yes, it's fun to have an Oscars where like, you've got like 25 different movies that are nominated. It's also fun when you have like a juggernaut. When you have that movie that gets nominated for like 27 awards Mm. and you're like, oh, my God, I would love this movie. Like whether it was like Lord of the Rings or it was Titanic or it was uh, Silence of the Lambs um, or even before this, when we when we did it happen one night, that was another one that got nominated for so many awards. That is a fun thing to happen. So a movie that like the idea that a movie can like capture the imagination of the general audience is really powerful and shockingly rare when it comes to the Oscars. Yeah, when it usually taps into Oscars... a zeitgeist, it, it makes it right. It makes it makes right. the um, and I know that this this isn't what this show is about, but it makes the Oscars feel important. You know, it, it, people, yes. Yes. they like they they often um, you know, clutch at pearls and stuff like that. Oh, not enough people are watching the actual ceremony itself, and it's like who right. fucking cares? You know, like <laughs> get over yourself. Um, but I guarantee you that year that Titanic was up, people were watching. Yeah, exactly. People right? watching. Because yeah. it's a movie they saw. Like, So it matters in the sense of a like what it really looks like when a movie hooks in to the popular opinion and is also a, a well-produced, quote-unquote, good movie. So there's a difference between you know a movie that's purely just a crowd pleaser. like, And those movies are fine, right? Popcorn movies are great. Um, we talked about it before. I just watched Godzilla versus King Kong. Should that win a was- Oscars? No. Does it matter? Probably not. But I had a great time. Like, I you know threw popcorn down my fat gullet, and I watched a monkey beat up a lizard, and it was great. But when you combine that kind of, like, emotional attachment with a movie-going experience with also a good movie, they get... It's, there's something special about that. There's like a, there's a moment there. So it matters in that sense. But like all the other extraneous stuff, like nah. But it matters as a cultural moment more than it does as a movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's the exact defense I made of Cimarron. Um... <laughs> yeah, but I'm right and you're wrong, though. Because nobody remembers Cimarron. And for good reason, because it sucks. I can guarantee you, when we get to something like Out of Africa... Uh, I'm going to be mentioning Cimarron still. A bunch of racist <laughs> shit at Cimarron too, and you defended that. But this, yeah, but my on, de- my defense of and and look as we move further away from that film, my defense was, and and my defense of Cimarron applies to a film like On with the Wind because my defense of that was we need to remember what we came from and and the perspectives that had that were had at the time, and yet watching Gone with the Wind, it reminds us every single minute of what the perspectives were at the time. There were people who thought that this was not a bad idea. And the reality is... A lot of people. (laughs) A lot of people. And the reality is a lot of people still think that it's not a bad idea. Right, right. So, you know, I'd like to formally retract my statement that Cimarron matters. It doesn't matter. Um, Because on the same hand, (laughs) Gone with the Wind doesn't matter. Um, 
This coward just retracting his statements left and right when they're not popular. I see. But but my reasoning <laughs> is, is that the more that we watch these films and the more that, you know, I don't know what your history was with the films from the 1930s and stuff like that. I, I hadn't watched as many as I had, had liked to. And I'm glad that we're going through these films and, and we're moving into the 1940s now where my film history is more, uh, I'm still, I have a more of a steeped film history from the forties and fifties. Um, but it's good to have an understanding of that history and, and appreciate how films were made and, and, and what was, what stories were being told and how they were being told too. Uh, and that sounds so fucking reductive because it's literally what we talk about all the time online and stuff <laughs> like that. But, I think there's a difference between talking about it and actually practicing and doing it because people say, you know, Oh, but I got to watch justice league, which is four hours and I'm going to watch it again. And I'm going to watch it again. And all power to you. If that's your thing, but just like if, if you are a film lover and you are a film enthusiast branch out, there are films made prior to the year 2000. You know, prior to know know the history of it. I think it's I think it's an important point you're bringing up. And basically, you're just, you know, parroting Martin Scorsese, which I'm always a big fan (laughs) of, Um, because that's that's one of the things he has talked about, not only in terms of world cinema now, but like older cinema, like everything that you like about movies came from somewhere. So, like, you know, do your homework. Read your read your history textbook, and in this case, it's really in some cases really fun movies you get to watch that, like, in some cases. That movies that no one else you know have seen. Yeah. Right? And you get to, like, experience this for the first time and, like, have something kind of private and something kind of cool that you get to experience that not a lot of people do. And, like, most of these things are, like, free or cheap. Like, you can rent these movies for, like, two bucks. Right? And they're all at your goddamn fingertips. Right? You just turn on your TV or open your computer and you go to Amazon or wherever and you just rent all these movies from the past and you just like it's one of those things like i think sometimes we forget just how lucky we are to live in the time we do like when i was 20 you know 22 years ago i couldn't just like log on and i I had to like track stuff down right you have to depend on blockbuster hollywood video or whatever and now you don't have those problems like you can like you can do what i do for this show i look up okay what got nominated okay i'm going to track down those movies and it takes me like 10 minutes to track down all of them and they're just like, oh, now I can just watch them. That's cool. And that's fun. So it's like, for me, this has been like a really fun experiment to like really get myself a little bit of an education. Like, granted, it's a small sample, right? Ten movies a, a year, maybe, which is such a small amount. But you do get to see like what was popular mm. at that time and what we were awarding. And I think it's an it's always like, yes, awards are nonsense when it comes to art. Like you can't you shouldn't rank art and all that stuff. But I think it's 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 interesting and important to know what we as a society value. Right. In art. And that is what these awards are yeah. doing. Right. Like it's showing what we value as a people. Uh, specifically as an American people, because they're American awards, but it shows us like what matters to the people of that time. Yeah. And I think that's interesting just to keep it all in context. Yeah. And that's why Green Book sucks and shouldn't yeah, be one. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, there are going to be some confronting films like Gone with the Wind uh, that are going to confront mm-hmm. your ideas of, of what uh, a good film should be. But yeah. I think that one of the other aspects in, 
you know, given this is a long film, hence why we have a longer episode and discussion and stuff like that. But I do want to kind of lead into the, the wrap up of this as saying one of the, the things that a side effect that I didn't expect from having these discussions and doing this particular podcast is that it has opened up my perspective and my purview of the different people that I now talk to online. There is a whole there is a whole group of people who don't engage with superhero films as much as everybody else does. Don't engage with modern films as much as everybody else does. And yet now there are people who I didn't, you know, I may have followed them on, on Twitter or whatever, but now I'm having active discussions with them about these older films. And I'm getting a catalog of yeah. films that I'm getting a, a film history lesson myself. And hopefully, you know, they're too getting a film history lesson as well. And I can see that there is a tangible effect of people going, you know what, I might watch Ninochka again. You know, I, I've never seen this film. I might check it out and that kind of stuff. And that, I think, is probably one of the most enjoyable aspects, besides talking to yourself, Dave, of course. Um <laughs> Well, you said one of. I am obviously the most important. Yep. I get yeah. that. <laughs> but, but one of the, the most enjoyable aspects has been being able to in, engage with people who I wouldn't usually have, have talked to and who I usually right. wouldn't have um, maybe had these discussions with. And there is a whole bunch of different films that I've been recommended and stuff like that that I would never have sought out otherwise. So this is my own little film history lesson. I'm glad that we're doing it because... Um, you know, while we do have to watch Four Hours of Gone with the Wind, uh, you know, there is a whole bunch of other films. Like, I, I finally got to watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and that film is a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Awards Don't Pod <laughs> to have more yes. such discussions. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you bring up a good point, and... Um, I was just thinking that if Gone with the Wind didn't win, I probably wouldn't have sat through it as just the nominee. Do, like, that's do you not... think that if it didn't win Best Picture, that it would still be loved? Because Wizard of Oz, no. it doesn't Oh, no. No, fuck no. Fuck no. No, it wouldn't. I can guarantee you it wouldn't. This is a movie um, that people, especially modern folks now, like there's no... Why would you watch a four-hour movie about the Civil War from the perspective of Southern rich white people... If it if there wasn't something attached to it, right? So either it had to win the Oscar or it had to be one of those that's like it had to be like Wizard of Oz is now, where it's like this is what should have won. What a picture, blah blah blah. Or if it just made the amount of money it did and didn't win, then probably still it'd be one of those movies like oh, it's you know if you take out inflation, it's the movie that's made the most money ever. So there there must be something there. So it probably would still have its fans just. But if it if it was a movie that like uh you know just broke even or made a little bit of money and then didn't win awards, no, not on its own merits. I don't mm -hmm. think so. Like unless you really love Clark Gable, like I do, then maybe you would watch it. But other than that, nah, I don't I think mean, so. I mean, I probably watch it just for Clark Gable. Yeah, like it's it's a good looking man, a really man. good looking He's man. Sexy, yeah, he is, and he yeah. he captures the screen so well, you know. Yep, absolutely. He's no Ashley Wilkes, though. Oh, <laughs> uh, shut the fuck up. This is where we end the episode, because I'm going to get violent. Uh, yeah, you should follow us on Twitter, and you can talk to Andrew uh, on his two different accounts. It'll be great. Uh, and sometimes I talk to myself. Talk to <laughs> yes, shut up, you. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> shut up, stupid Australian. <laughs> yeah.
you're not yeah. wanted here. So yeah, it's uh, what is it? Awards That's don't pod. One. Is that the? Yep. Is that the... All right. Yeah. Check us out there and uh, tell us why uh, Gone with the Wind is actually good and not I'm racist. I'm genuinely curious. I fucking yeah. dare you. I fucking dare you. <laughs> Go ahead. Give it your best shot, white people. White will never make you understand because you don't know the meaning of fear. You never mind facing realities. And you never want to escape from them as I do. Escape? Oh, Ashley, you're wrong. I do want to escape, too. I'm so very tired of it all. I've struggled for food and for money. I've weeded and hoed and picked cotton till I can't stand it another minute. I tell you, Ashley, this I is dead, is dead. The Yankees and the Corbybackers have got it, and there's nothing left for us. run away. We'd go to Mexico. They want officers in the Mexican army. We could be so happy there. Ashley, I'd work for you. I'd do anything for you. You know you don't love Melanie. You told me you loved me that day at 12 Oaks. And anyway, Melanie can't. Dr. Mead told me she couldn't ever have any more children and I could give you. Can't we ever forget that day at 12 Oaks? Do you think I could ever forget it? Have you forgotten it? Can you honestly say you don't love me? No, I... I don't love you. It's a lie. Well, even if it is a lie, do you think I'd go off and leave Melanie and the baby? Break Melanie's heart? Scarlet, you mad? You couldn't leave your father and the girl. I couldn't leave them. I'm sick of them. I'm tired of them. Yes, you're sick and tired. That's why you're talking this way. You've carried the load for all of us. But from now on, I'm going to be more help to you. I promise. There's only one way you can help me. Take me away. There's nothing to keep us here. Nothing except honor. I love them so much that a moment ago I could have forgotten the best wife a man ever had. But Scarlet, I'm not going to forget her. better than me, though you may not know it. Tara. Yes, I, I still have this. have you all starve simply because I threw myself at your head. It won't happen again. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. 
Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.